You are listening to the weekend message of Crossroads Church North Campus. Crossroads exists to make much of Jesus, and we do this by following in the way of Jesus and making disciples who love God and love others. To find out more about Crossroads, go to crossroadslive.com. Thanks for listening. Grace and peace. Uh, If you would stand with me, we're going to continue in our study in the Gospel of Luke. Um, And I'm going to invite Kim up to read for us. You can turn to uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 17. All right, so today we are in Luke 5, uh, 17 to 26, and that's in the ESV version. Uh, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, rise pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. You may be seated. Where we step into today... uh, is the beginning of of really kind of five questionings, five confrontations that Jesus is going to have with a group of people that Luke is going to introduce us to here. As Jesus is gaining more and more attention, uh, there's a positive side to that. There's also a negative side to that. As some are uh, promoters of what Jesus is doing and others are detractors. Some are friends, some are are foes and questioning, "Who, who is this man? What's he really about? But what we're going to see in this story is a reminder, again, of the singular necessity of running to Jesus. We're going to watch as a group of fierce friends bring a paralyzed man before Jesus in the most unorthodox of ways. After breaking down barriers, social norms, and even a roof, these friends bring their friend to Jesus. And in turn, Jesus brings a renovation to the man's life. But as often is the case with Jesus, uh, the results of what we see far exceed even our expectations. And so we're just going to walk through this passage. And then at the end, I want to point out a few observations and ask a few questions for us to think around of how we can apply some of these truths to us today. 
So beginning in verse 17, it says, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Now, this account, this story that we read here can be found in both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. Mark fills in a little gap for us, letting us know that this is taking place in Capernaum, the town that we've already been in. We've already looked at a little bit right on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. But we also see that Jesus uh, is speaking here to a packed house uh, and his influence, his works, his deeds, his teaching, they're drawing people to him. Drawing people in such a way that now we read that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. The Pharisees, this group that's important for us to understand who they are, are gathering around and coming to witness and see the teachings of Jesus for themselves. The rumblings, the rumors have gotten to them and now they need to check this out. See, again, it's important for us to understand who the Pharisees are because we're going to hear more and more about them as we follow along in the life of Jesus and as we're going to see some conflict between them and Jesus. The Pharisees, their very name in Aramaic uh, means to separate or to divide, to distinguish. And we see that as a group uh, that they looked to separate, uh, to keep themselves holy and to follow the Torah of God, to divide the word of God well, to live by the instructions that they see within the words of Scripture. The Pharisees took all of the Hebrew Scriptures, all of the Old Testament as truth and they were bound by them. But as one person said, and said so well, that they would take offense around the Torah to make sure that they always lived blameless and pure. And what they mean by that is that they were so afraid of breaking the law that they would put kind of external boundaries on the law to ensure that they didn't break the law. For example, when it says that you're not to take the Lord's name in vain, they would build a fence around that by saying, you know what, we're not even going to say the name of Yahweh. We won't even, we'll just back away entirely so that we don't even have the opportunity to say his name in vain. Following the rule of Torah was of the utmost importance. Now, when we hear that, it's important too that we recognize that's not a bad thing to seek to live by the word of God. And oftentimes when we hear Pharisees, it's like we instantly start booing and like, I don't want to be like them. But they had some good intentions, The dangerous thing was that they got so caught up in the rules that they forgot about the relationship with God. They saw the teaching of the Torah as as the most important act of worship, and that would take place in the synagogue. And when it says that it was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these teachers of the law were often local teachers uh, in the synagogues of local places. It wasn't this official group of people, but they were ones who had studied the law well so that when an argument came up between neighbors, they would go to a teacher of a law to help them distinguish what does scripture say about this. And so the Pharisees, this group of people that held to uh, the teachings of Torah were coming to hear what this upstart rabbi was teaching and the teachers of law were there with them. And in some ways, we're gonna see that their posture wasn't so much of, man, I can't wait to learn from this guy. But it was more of, we're going to watch and make sure that he doesn't step out of bounds. That's the conflict that we're going to see throughout uh, the interactions with the Pharisees in the Gospel of Luke. 
that there's this pushing and prodding. And that the sad part to me is that where they have a front row seat to the Messiah, they, they miss him on so many occasions. And so I just want to encourage us as we go through these stories, some of them familiar for some of you. I don't want us to miss the Messiah. I don't want us to miss the actions of Jesus and what this means for us here and now. And so gathered in this place, many had come from all over to hear Jesus because they were just so curious as to what was happening in this moment. It also states that as they were gathering that the power of the Lord was with him, with Jesus, to heal. Now, we've seen Luke talks around power a lot, power, dunamis in the Greek, this dynamite power. This power comes from the Spirit. When he is talking about power, he's always talking about the anointing that Jesus has received as the Spirit has come upon him, that his ministry is in the power of the Spirit. And so the Spirit is upon Jesus as he's proclaiming these truths, but not only proclaiming and taking a posture of teaching, he's doing incredible deeds and actions and healings. And so as he's playing to a packed house, we're going to see that the house was so packed, in fact, that people were willing to take extraordinary measures to get inside. Verse 18, and behold, some of the men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. The urgency of this moment is hard for us to imagine. These friends were so intent on getting their friend to Jesus that they are willing to stop at nothing. The home was filled. The doorways were blocked. They could not get their friend on his mat through the doorways. Some of us in that moment would be like, ah, I guess it just wasn't meant to be, and would just stop and be like, I'm sorry, man. I guess we have to go home. Some of us would maybe say, well, I'll just, I'll just wait outside and maybe as Jesus is coming by, we can get his attention. But that's not what we see the action here is. No, they're not going to take a closed door or people coming out the windows because they're spilling out. They're like, no, there's a way in that building and we are going to figure it out. Now, what would cause this? Why would they be so determined? Because for them... If Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus really is the Messiah, if Jesus has already been able to heal so many other people that they've heard about and encountered, then this might be their friend's only hope, and they were willing to do whatever they could to get to Jesus. And so the friends, they persevere, and they get very creative. Now, if we're correct in assuming that this is just kind of a typical Galilean home, it would have had a, a flat roof with beams running across it. And sometimes it was made with tiles. Sometimes it was kind of caked earth that was put together with mud and thatch and kind of a tile shape and just run along the top. This earthen top sometimes would sprout gardens on top of it. And a normal house would actually have a staircase going up because they would use this space if they could. So as the, the men were rushing up these stairs with their friend in tow, no one would have thought anything about this. They would have been like, yeah, that's fine. They're probably just trying to get as close as they can to hear from this rabbi as he's teaching. Now, where it would have gotten a little weird is that if you're sitting in the house and suddenly you're like, is that 
what just fell? What's going on? And then suddenly you see sunlight streaming through. And now there's suddenly a renovated roof with a little sunlight where there was none before. That would be a little strange, right? If you're sitting in the house. If someone came over to your house and was like, hey, um, my friend's coming. I'm not sure they're going to make it through their doorway. And you're like, oh, okay, well, let's figure that out. And they just start hammering away, right? You'd probably be a little uncomfortable if they started making renovations in your house. But that's what's unfolding here. They're just cutting through the roof. And then about the time you're like, that's weird, it gets even weirder because now you see four people scrambling as they're grabbing hold of somebody on a mat and they're trying to lower him down to get him in front of Jesus. The whole scene would be absurd in so many different ways as this guy's coming down. And I always wonder, like, how long did it take for him? Was it like, 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 oh, do we help him? Like what, like, and everyone's just sitting there, like what is going on, trying to cue off, like my curiosity is like, what's the owner of the house doing in this moment? Like are they losing their mind? But then you know, Jesus is sitting there teaching. Everyone's fixed on him. So as this is happening, they're probably looking at Jesus like, what's he doing? How is he reacting in this moment? What's he gonna say? What's he gonna do? Now I've, I've found that it's not when life is going as expected that you really get to know somebody, right? It's when the bumps come along and when the unexpected happens that you really get to see what's stirring in someone's heart. And so everyone's eyes are fixed on Jesus. What's he gonna say here? What's he gonna do? How is he going to respond? And so the friends, they lower their friend down in front of Jesus. And now it's up to Jesus what's going to happen next. Verse 20, as we've read, and when he saw their faith, their faith, plural, when he saw all the men's faith, the four friends, the one on the mat, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus responds in this moment, not with a, what have you done? He looks at what has transpired in front of him and he looks at the man on the mat and he sees the faith of the friends. He sees this man looking for healing and he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Someone coming through right now? You guys hear that? Not an object lesson. That wasn't planned. But come on down. And Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, if you're, you're looking at this from the outside, right, probably not the response that the friends were looking for, honestly. Probably not the response that the man on the mat was looking for in this moment. What, what was he looking for? Healing. He couldn't walk. He was paralyzed. Fix me. Let me jump up. Let me move. Let me, let me be free from what I've experienced. Heal me. Restore me. But again, looking from the outside in, don't we see that this is exactly what Jesus is doing? That he's freed the man in a more significant way than, than walking or, or moving. He has freed the man from the burden of sin. And yet, if we were the man on the mat and we were given the option, which would we choose? to walk or to be free of sin? Right? It's not like a ready answer. We wrestle with that. We're like, I think I'd like to, 
I'd like to walk. I mean, the freedom from sin, that, that's, that's pretty important. But to not be able to move, to feel limited, to feel like I can't do things on my own, like that's frustrating even thinking about it. That, that truly sounds like hell. And I think the reason that we can look at something like that and we can wrestle with it a little bit or find pause in ourselves is because we, we often think too little of sin meaning that we minimize it, we downplay it, we justify our wrong actions. See, but when we come face to face with our brokenness, when we see it for what it really is, that, that our need for peace cannot be met on our own, we can't make that happen when we recognize our, our need for something or someone greater than ourselves, then we begin to rightly order our hearts. And we truly understand the deepest need that we carry. And again, this, this to me is the beauty of Jesus in this moment. He sees the man. He sees the needs of this man. And he addresses the greatest need first. That's where he starts. He had healed the man. Had he just like, healed him? Like, hey, get up and walk. That man could have run out of there sprinting through the streets, so excited, but he would still be living a life apart from God and still be living in his sin. And so Jesus, instead, addresses the core problem. He addresses the man's true brokenness, the brokenness that we all carry. Some of you know uh, who Johnny Erickson Tata is. That at the age of 17, uh, she jumped into a body of water that she had misjudged and hit the bottom and fractured her neck in such a way that she was paralyzed from the shoulders down. And she, she still, to this day, paralyzed from the shoulders down. And she recounts in some of her books and some of her speaking just the, the frustration, the rehab that she had to go through, the depression, the grief, the anger, the doubts, the conversations with God that weren't always so pretty, not pristine. And she came after him. She was frustrated, wondering, what are you doing in my life? But in the midst of all of this, God began to shape something within her, that her testimony, her life, has always been lived to point others to Jesus. And that's what makes what she said in this moment so profound to me. She said, I'd rather be in this wheelchair knowing God than on my feet without him. Now, why can she say that? Because she has a rightly ordered heart. She has a right understanding of just who Jesus is and what he is offering us in the forgiveness of our sins. What he is offering us in a relationship with him. That to be in his presence is better than anything. And yet for some of us, we still doubt that. We just, we just want to walk. We want to be able to do our own thing. But here is Jesus uh, is, is proclaiming, man, your sins are forgiven. All there are watching this unfold. And Jesus knows what he's saying. Jesus knows the words that he's choosing to use. He's not like flippant in the things that he says. He's very intentional. His words pack a, a, a pregnant punch. And he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. 
But the reason this hits so different is that there's only one who can forgive the sins of humanity. And those in attendance watching and listening in, those Pharisees, those scribes, those teachers of the law, they've been waiting for this moment. And verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? There's only one who can forgive our sins. Sure, we can go to a priest and we can bring our sacrifices and there's a a mediator between us, but ultimately it is God who forgives our sins. Psalm 103 verses 2 and 3 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. It's God alone who can forgive our iniquities. It's God alone who heals us and restores us. So who forgives? God alone forgives. But here Jesus is saying that he forgives. So for Jesus to say that he can forgive sins is like saying he's God. Which for the Pharisees is to denigrate the very name of God. To put yourself on par with God. How dare you? How dare you say such a thing? But remember, Jesus, not flippant with his words, he's not just trying to poke the bear, he's just revealing who he is. This is who he is. He's once again saying, yes, fully man, but I'm also fully God. I'm fully divine. He and the Father are one. He has the authority to heal sin, to forgive sin. Jesus is making this clear in this moment. But he takes it a step further. Verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, and I love this, we're going to see this with Jesus a lot. He has this understanding of what's going on in the room. Even though no words have been shared or said, he can see what's happening, the forming of thoughts. And perceiving their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk? See, Jesus, again, in this moment, does something that he so often does. When asked a question, he turns the question around and he asks another question. Sometimes it's like beautifully frustrating. Right? If you know somebody in your life who always does that, you're like, just answer the question. Right? But Jesus isn't trying to avoid what's going on here. He's actually taking this conversation even deeper. He's revealing something even deeper here. He's saying, I get it. What's easier to say, that your sins are forgiven or to rise and walk? Because let's be honest, in that moment, as that transpired between that man and Jesus, he said, your sins are forgiven. How did people know? Did they see it transpire? Did they see him washed white as snow? There's nothing that transpired there except for the words. But to say rise and walk, man, if, if that guy doesn't get up and walk, then Jesus is a liar. And so Jesus, in this moment, he's like, okay, what's easier to do? You want to know that my words are true? My actions will point to the truth of my words. My words will point to the truth of my actions. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, verse 24. The the Son of Man, Son of Man, this title that we see in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, speaking to the one who's coming with the kingdom, uh, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. You're questioning whether or not I can do this? Well, so that you may know. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Again, Jesus is backing up his words with his actions, and his actions are backing up his words. 
He has the authority to forgive. He has the authority to heal. He is the one that we need. He is the singular one we need to run to. And he's showing it right here in this moment. Verse 25, what happened next? The man stayed on the mat and Jesus was proven wrong. No, it says he immediately, he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. Immediately. Just like we saw in the story we looked at last week with the man with leprosy. When Jesus said, I will be clean to that man. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left that man. When Jesus speaks to this, this man who's paralyzed, he says, rise up. Immediately the man has the strength, the power, and the ability to rise up on his own strength now and walk out of that room carrying the mat that he had been carried on by his four friends. And what's his response? He walks home glorifying God. We don't know how long this man was unable to walk. We don't know a full backstory. But if you've ever had an injury of any sort, you know that part of the healing process isn't just like the muscle or the things that you've hurt, right? It's actually mental too. Trusting that you can make that movement again without it hurting. I've sprained my ankle so many times and every time there's this moment where I have to like go back out and move on it again, like it's really gonna hold me up this time for real. And it's always scary to me every time. Like, is it really healed or am I just gonna be the brittle man that I am and fall? This man lying there. I mean, what's it like to walk? How long has it been since he's walked? But at the authority of Jesus' word, he rises up, walks out of there glorifying God. It's an incredible scene that unfolds before all those who've been packed in this house, shoulder to shoulder. A house of this sort probably held 50 people packed shoulder to shoulder, right? And if it's packed so that no one could get in, I mean, it was, it was tight. You started to get to know your neighbor. If it got a little warm in there, you really knew your neighbor, Right? And they're all just watching this unfold with the debris of the roof everywhere and this man now walking out who was brought in on a mat because he could not walk before. Verse 26, and, and amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. I love that in this moment, uh, awe seized them. It shook them, it, it filled them, it held them captive to the glory and the goodness of God. And then Luke finishes by saying, uh, the words of the people were, we have seen extraordinary things of God. What an understatement that is, right? I mean, again, just, just imagine you're in that room as, as Jesus is teaching, profound in itself, right? How many of us would just want to be in the room where Jesus is teaching, that man doesn't have to come through the roof and we just want to be in his presence and hear his words and, and to sit at his feet. And now all of a sudden there's this rumbling as people are going upstairs and you hear someone on the roof and you're like, that's weird. Roof breaks open and now someone's dropping down. You're like, what is going on? Jesus is like, your sins are forgiven you. All of a sudden the Pharisees and all those teachers there start to rise up and take this posture of like, this isn't good. This shouldn't be happening. You can feel the tension of the room. And what's Jesus doing in this moment? Just calmly reflecting back. You want to you know what authority I have? You want to know if I have authority here? Man, rise up, take your mat, and walk. 
And suddenly the guy gets up and just walks out of that room, right? The whole time you're just like, The guy walks out and you're like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard for us to, extraordinary things happened in that room. We have seen extraordinary things. That word extraordinary things in the Greek, it's paradoxa. It's the word that we get paradox from. Something that seems so strange It seems untrue, but in fact, it's true. Like you don't trust what you're seeing in front of you, the paradox of this moment, and yet it's true. And what all of those in that room were witness to and what we are witness to as we read this and what we are reminded of is that the kingdom of God is creatively and unswervingly infiltrating earth as it is in heaven in these moments. That Jesus is who he said he is. And he's proving it with his teaching and his actions, with his healing, with his forgiveness. And so I, I want to make just a few observations here. And I want to ask some questions along the way, or give some questions for you to ask of yourself along the way. First thing, just going back to the paralyzed man and his friends. When you just take this at face value, They ripped through a roof for their friend. Those are the kind of friends you want that'll rip through a roof for you. Honestly, if you, if you, like, who are the people that are carrying your mat? Like, that's a whole sermon unto itself, but like, they ripped through a roof for their friend. They did what was necessary to get their friend to Jesus. And it looked crazy. I mean, to unearth someone's roof and just like break through it, that's not normal behavior, okay? That, that, that's not deemed as appropriate. No, they just broke through the roof to get their friend down to Jesus because that is what mattered most. And for some of you, I've seen the crazy in your eye. You're like, that's me. Like, like you're looking for that. Like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it right now. Right? And then there's others of you who are maybe are more like rule followers that if you were along for that mission, you would have been like halfway up the stairs like, now what's the plan? They're like, we're just going to rip through the roof. You're like, oh, I don't know if we can do that. Is that okay? Can we do that? Are they going to be mad? What's going to happen? Are we going to have to put it back? How much is this going to cost? What are we doing here, guys? Right? But they ripped through the roof to get their friend to Jesus. What drove this? What drove them? Faith. There was nothing else. There was no one else. This was their only chance. This was their only shot. They were desperate. And in desperate times, sometimes we do crazy things, don't we? But, but they were desperate enough to say, we can't fix this. We can't do this. But that guy, we've heard all about him. He can. And so we've just got to get you to him. Trust us. And that guy's lying on the mat like, where are you taking me, guys? What are we doing? They're like, trust us. We're going to Jesus. He's like, I've heard of Jesus. And he's like, yes, he's going to take care of this. Nothing else will work. And in desperation, they take their friend to Jesus. And so this is my question for you. Are you desperate for Jesus? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get to him? 
Or have we tamed Jesus and just made him so accessible it's easy? Ah, it's not a big deal. Are, are you desperate to be in his presence? Are you desperately seeking him? Are you desperately understanding that apart from him, I can do nothing? That each of us needs him. So ask yourself that question. Are you desperate for Jesus? To take that at another level, are you desperate to get your friends to Jesus? Are you, are you desperate to say he is the only one? I'm watching you in life and I'm seeing all the hardships come your way and I'm seeing you flounder. There's only one who can help you in the midst of this and it is Jesus. Are you desperate for Jesus? Again, I can't answer that question for you. But I'd encourage you to ask yourself, would you, would you rip through a roof for Jesus? Would you rip through a roof for your friend to get to Jesus? Are you desperate for him? Second thing is this. Still zooming in on the, the paralyzed man and his friends because there's so much to glean from there. These friends saw barriers getting their friend to Jesus. And when those barriers came and they seemed insurmountable, uh, they didn't stop. They continued forward. They improvised. They had to figure out a new way to get the man in the house where Jesus was. Again, that house was filled. There was no room to kind of stuff him through. And so uh, they could have turned around. They could have waited. They could have just said, sorry, we, we thought this was going to work better than it did. But instead, they took initiative and they sprinkled it with a boatload of creativity. They got their friend to Jesus by whatever means necessary. And so here, here's my second question for you. Are you creative for Jesus? Are you creative for Jesus? And what I mean by that is, are you thinking creatively about how to reach those around you? I think far too often we pull up and we're like, ah, that's impossible. It might be awkward, they might take offense, they, they might think I'm a total weirdo, and we just build up this whole list of things. But if we're desperate to get to Jesus, if we're desperate to get our friends to Jesus, then we're going to start to be creative on how we get them there. And I'm not talking about slick campaigns or just asking the right question. No, I'm like, how are we creatively coming around and, and helping people see that they are loved? How are you creatively engaging your neighbor in a way that makes sense to them so that you can be in the conversation, that you can have a voice in the conversation? But too often, I think we just settle for, ah, it's too hard. And I, I will tell you, for, for me personally, I'm tired of settling because I've seen myself do it and I know what's at stake. And I don't want to settle. So God, would you give us creativity? Would you give us new eyes to see how we can come around those that we encounter to point them to you? And it's important that we remember this. Our job is to point people to Jesus. Our job is not to save them. We get them to Jesus because Jesus alone saves. He'll, he'll take care of the rest. But we point them to Jesus. We get them to the feet of Jesus. We break through that roof and we get them as close to him as we can. So are we creative for Jesus? Finally, have you seen extraordinary things today? See, when the man was before Jesus, 
where did Jesus begin the healing process? He didn't begin with the obvious. He began with the most necessary. Jesus began with the man's heart, forgiving his sins. Man, your, your sins are forgiven you. That's where he began. And some of us have forgotten the extraordinary miracle that that is. Yes, we, we long for healing in our disease-ridden bodies. Yes, we long for healing in our circumstances that seem just to weigh us down. Yes, we long for comfort in our afflictions. I'm not downplaying any of that. I'm not blowing past any of that. Those are real. Continue to bring those before the Lord. But let us not look past what he has done and what he offers for us today. That if you have confessed your sins to Jesus, if you have repented of your ways, trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and you are rescued, you are redeemed, you are healed, you are free, and you have been witness to extraordinary events in your life. So let me try this a different way, a visual reminder. Who in this room has received the forgiveness of Jesus? Just, just raise your hand. And we're going we're to keep him up for a while, so if you need to support it, just do it, okay? Who in this room has turned to him? Who in this room has found life in him? What did they say? Keep him up. As all watched these events unfold, we are told an amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled in awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Keep them up. We're getting your little workout in. It's, it's good for you. Oh, don't cry. You're okay. You can do it. I believe in you. Have you seen extraordinary things today? I would say yes. Look around at the hands around you. Each one raising that hand has been taken from death to life. From sin to forgiveness. You are a child of God. This is an extraordinary miracle that we are witness to. Each of you, an extraordinary miracle that we are witness to. Extraordinary. Don't look past this. So when someone says, how is church today? We have seen extraordinary things today. And they're like, what? No, seriously. Lives transformed. The defining voice in your life is no longer your, your failures, your regrets, your sin. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You now walk in the power of the Spirit. He's in you. He sealed you as a guarantee of the hope that you have in him. You are an extraordinary miracle. Praise be to God. And if you're, you're in this room and, and you have yet to taste and see the goodness of God, can I encourage you to lean in, to trust him that he is good, that he is true, and that in him there is forgiveness. To see that hope and life are possible, turn to him, that we may all walk from here today glorifying God and filled with the awe of who he is. Will you pray with me? Father, we stand in awe of you.
Lord, you meet us in our deepest needs. Lord, you offer the payment in full of a debt that we could never pay off. No matter what kind of payment plan we have, we are never paying that thing off, but you paid it completely and fully, and you tell us on the cross that it is finished. So when you looked at that man and said, man, your sins are forgiven, you have the authority to heal, and you have the authority to forgive. So Lord, would we trust in your authority? Would we trust in who you are? And God, where we have grown too numb to your goodness, would you make us desperate again to chase after you in all things? Lord, where we've hit walls that feel too insurmountable, would you help us through your spirit to be creative again and how we reach and proclaim others around us, pointing them to the hope that we have in you. God, would we pray bold prayers that our neighborhoods would be transformed by, for your glory, that we would be witness to extraordinary things as you move. And Lord, would we never look past the extraordinary things you have done in our life. For all who have said yes to Jesus have witnessed an extraordinary thing. God, again, for those who have yet to say yes, would they know that if they confess with their tongue and they proclaim that, Jesus, you are Lord, that they will have life in you, forgiveness in you. So, Lord, would they turn now, trusting in you, holding tight to you, standing and rising, healed and forgiven, glorifying you. God, may that be each of us this day. We pray in your name. Amen. In Psalm 103, David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. May we bless the Lord with all that is within us. May we desperately pursue Jesus. May we creatively pursue those around us, pointing them to the hope that we have in Jesus. And may we never lose our wonder at his extraordinary goodness. May you know his grace and experience his peace. God bless you. We'll see you next week.